evening and welcome to Football Bloody Hell. show tonight. Well, Hilda's back from Covid. Hello, Hilda. And our Greek correspondent, all the way over there in Athens, we're joined by Steve Rutter. Totally bias me, I'll be back, of course. Thorpe will be banging on about Liverpool, no doubt. And Rick will be here to give me a bit of support. sit back and enjoy and let's talk football. Well good evening everybody, welcome to Football Bloody Hell and first of all welcome to our guest on the show tonight, first of all Hilda's back from the deaths of Covid, how are you old dog? Yeah not too bad mate, good good to be back. Yeah absolutely, we we missed you, we definitely missed you. Rick's here to give me a bit of moral support. All right, Rick? Yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. Under the circumstances, I think, is the best thing we need to add yeah, that. all things being equal, as well as can be expected. Yeah, yeah. Mr Thorpe, he's here. Hello, Paul. Good evening, everyone. How are we? We're very well, thank you very much. Jolly good. After a hard day's work, we're absolutely beaming. Well, that's, that's self-employment for you, isn't it? And I'm pleased to say we've we've got a, 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 a Latvian correspondent, we've got a Portuguese correspondent, now we've got a Greek correspondent, because Steve Rutter has just popped back home for a quickie and we've grabbed him for an hour, and here he is. Hello, Steve. <laughs> He's popped back home. Probably rephrase that with a more sensitive listeners. That's an expensive quickie, isn't it, eh? Yeah. <laughs> That's it now. Now you've made it public, mate. There's no chance. Yeah, well. The trouble is, they've all got dirt uh, track minds, haven't you? That's a... Anyway, That's welcome it. back, Steve. It's good to have you on the show again. How's things? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Surviving. Yeah. I mean, it's an absolute catastrophe of a football team at the moment, but uh, yeah, surviving. Right. Well, I thought it would be a rather novel idea for you to give us a bit of a breakdown on exactly who the club is, where they are in the league who your manager are, and just, just generally talk us through what's going on in Greece for a, a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the club's a team called Panathalikos, um, which is a small town about three hours southwest of Athens. So the, 
In the summer, it's beautiful because it's right near the Ionian Islands and places like Nafpaktos and um, Lefkadia, which are, if anybody's a sailor, they'll know Lefkadia and Pavetsu and places. So in the summer, it's lovely. In the winter, it's a bit remote and isolated. Um, very small club in the Greek Super League, so competing against Olympiakos, Panathinaikos, etc. Um, and reflected, obviously, in the budgets and the quality of the players you can get. So difficult challenge, but um, one you have to embrace. And uh, who's who's manager? Uh, Yanni, Yanni Anastasiou, who is the lad that Paul Thorpey knows him. Um, in fact, he once he once sent Thorpey to a nightclub, <laughs> uh, and Thorpey didn't come back in quite the same state that he went in. Oh. But, um, <laughs> do, do I feel a bit a, of blackmail uh, material coming on here? <laughs> it's a very good club. It was a very nice club, wasn't it? Yeah. And they were uh, very I mean, hospitable as well. <laughs> Yanni was a very good footballer. He played for Anderlecht, Ajax Amsterdam, um, played for the Greek national team a couple of times. was a really good footballer. Um, and I met him when he came to England to do his coaching badges and I was working at the FA. And then in, in 2013... When I left the FA, the reason I left was to go and work with Yanni at Panathinaikos. So that was that was where the relationship started, and that's why I've been back a few times to different places in Europe to go to go and work with Yanni. And uh, where are you in the league at the moment? We're not bottom. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's about, we started really well. We we took five five points from the first four games, um, and then we just we've fallen off a cliff. To be honest, we've we, we've lost five on the bounce. Um, but we have lost, of those five, we've lost to um, AK Athens, who are massive, Olympiakos, we lost 2-1. So we weren't far off in those games, but you know, Paul will know as well that once you start losing a couple of games, then one or two lads get injured, and then the next yeah. result is a bit worse, you lose 3-0. Um, we've had one really horrible performance where we, we were 4-0 down at <coughs> half-time um, and managed to commit, give away three penalties in one game, which takes some doing. Um, even by Greek standards, to be honest. Um, you so haven't been advising Oli in the meantime, have you? <laughs> no, listen, there's plenty of people in the game who've got plenty of problems that are bigger than ours. Um, and Oli's would be one of them, I think. Mm, I think you could be right. Yes, you have suffered quite a lot from injuries, haven't you? So that when you've got like a smaller squad and you're yeah. up against the, you know, such a powerhouse uh, uh, you know, of the top four, possibly top five over in Greece, then obviously it's very difficult. So... You know, it's a uh, it's it's a hard job, but um, the, the you know, it, in, in my view, I actually don't think you should ever have got really sacked from Panathinaikos. I thought it was a disgraceful decision, and um, you'd really worked hard not only to bring the budget right the way down from a ridiculous uh, heights, but also um, I thought the football that you were playing there was really really good. So it's very disappointing to see from the sidelines to see um, you know uh, yourself and Yanni sacked because I think at the time. I think they might, the owner needed to be, you know, a little bit more ballsy and uh, stand up to the supporters instead of um, caving in. Yeah, I think I think nowadays that that's the nature. You look at Dean Smith at Aston Villa. You know, you look what he's done for the club over the last few years. Um, he's lost five on the bounce, uh, you know, and he gets sacked. Um, and they just mm. don't have patience anymore. You know, especially they invest money. They they think because they spend money, they're going to get a return on it and they're going to win. You know, everybody else is spending money as well, so you can't all win. Um, but ultimately, you, as a coach, you're disappointed when you know we played a mediocre team, but we played Tajian in the last game. Um, despite the fact we got nine out missing players injured out of a squad of 22, so we're really struggling for players. But you, you, we didn't perform the way we knew we could, and that's what disappoints you. They, they, the modern world, people are much more fragile. Players are not like they used to be a few years ago. 
Do you Steve, think? Do you is think, there Ma- anyone in your? Go on. Sorry, Aid. I just want no, to ask on. if there's anyone. Is there anyone in your squad that we would recognise? Um, until a couple of weeks ago, do you remember the boy Rudy Gestead? Played for oh, Cardiff. Yeah, Cardiff. Middlesbrough. Well, we, this is this is what happens when you're struggling a little bit. We signed Rudy. He'd been in Australia for a season. He's really, really good lad. Top top class person. Real good pro. Thirty two years old. Um, going thirty three now. Um, big physical unit. Wear and tear on his knees and things not been great. So he's not as mobile as he was, but a real good professional. Um, signed for us, which gave us like the, the talismanic sort of target player we wanted. Uh, but the transfer window in Iran closes two weeks after everywhere else. Um, so he, he played for us, scored a goal, the winning goal away at Tromitos, second game of the season. And then he got an offer from Estihal in Iran, double the length of contract, double the amount of money. So he moved on because the club said, you know, Yanni's is a very human person, said, listen, that age, you might never get another offer like this. So although it's going to cause us a problem, we think it's only fair to the lad to let him go. So we did. And he's the only player that you would that you'd know. We've got, we got a couple of internationals from Honduras and Canada, but they're certainly not household names in England. Well, I've forgotten what I was going to say, so that doesn't help, does it? <laughs> <laughs> it shows going well, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what it was. Um, Steve, do you think, though, um, when it comes to sacking managers, whether it's in Greece or in England or anywhere, that, that there's, you know... There's an underestimation of what it's going to cost. You know, if you're you're a chairman, you think, oh, I'm going to sack him. It's going to, or I've got to get a new contract for a new manager and that. But but it seems to me that they they all seem to forget the fact that when the new manager comes in, he's going to say, well, he's rubbish, he's rubbish. Get rid of him, get rid of him. And we need five new players, please, Mr. Chairman. That means another five billion pound on the deal. I fancy they tend to forget that. Yeah, I, I think at the top end, they really just don't care. If I'm honest, you know they just don't care. Why would you appoint Nuno at Tottenham, give him four months, and then sack him, and all his backroom yeah. staff? He probably, probably had six or seven backroom staff as well. Um, but they've got that much money, they don't care. And I think when you go further down, you know, the reality is that you might have a manager at say a Championship club or Division One club, and he might be on a three-year contract. But actually, he's, because he's not a big hitter, because he's not Antonio Conte or he's not Rafa Benitez. He probably has a termination clause in his contract that says if you get sacked, you get, you know, we're in the bottom half of the table, you get three months' money. If we sack you in the top half of the table, but not in the promotion slots, you get a year's money. So, that, so further down the, you know, the batting sort of the pecking order, they back themselves by the financial exclusion they put on the manager's contract. And at the top end, if you're Tottenham or Arsenal or Chelsea or Real Madrid, you don't care if it costs you 30 million to sack him. And, then you've got to spend another hundred million on new players because they were washed with money and no brains. <laughs> Nuno had one in his track, didn't he, that said that if he made it to the end of the season, they could dismiss him for nothing. And he didn't reach a certain level, they could dismiss him for nothing. Yeah. Well, they were that kid. They just don't worry about the money. So just there you go. We'll, yeah. We'll suck it up. But they could have, they did have that clause <clears throat> in his contract. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a few other, I remember Andre Villas Boas. The rumours were that he'd, he'd made something like £27 million on compensation between his two his sackings at Chelsea and Tottenham. I don't know if that's right, but those were the rumours that were sort of circulating. It, you know, maybe he'll come on and put us right if, if the figures are wrong. Um, but I don't think he completed a, one whole season. If you added these two spells at the two clubs together, he didn't complete a whole season. But mm-hmm. the clubs do that. They just sign him. No, made a mistake. Get rid of him. Pay him up. You know, they do it with players, don't they? they pay £35 Sometimes million. 
they've been um, paying like three. Some clubs have been paying paying if they don't make it in one settlement, they're paying like three managers all at the same time, and only oh, one yeah. of them's actually turning up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what are no. facilities like in Greece then, Steve? I mean, are the stadiums up to scratch? Uh, very, very mixed. And, and Olympiakos have a nice stadium that was paid for by the government when they when they rebuilt it for the Olympics. Um, Powak have got a place called the Tumba, which is very old but is, is decent. And AEK Athens is just building a brand new stadium, which holds about thirty-two thousand up in Philadelphia in Athens. But if you go around most of the other places, I mean, our stadium is slightly smaller than the Ovals. You know, mm. um, you go to somewhere like La Mia. And it's probably more like going, I don't know, Dorchester. So you have massive disparity between the big clubs and the small clubs. Massive. It's bigger than there is in the Premier League. And what, what about the crowds? Yeah. What sort of crowds do you get? Um, it, again, it depends. I mean, uh, even at Panathinaikos, which is a massive club, when I was there in, in 2013-14, I think our average was about 8,500 for league games. Mm. Um, the stadium held about 14,000 and if we played Olympiacos or Palak or AEK Athens we'd sell out but if we were playing Veria or Platanias or somebody you know we'd get 4,000 so they, people say they're really passionate but they're, they're selectively passionate mm. <laughs> well there we go folks that's a, a brief uh, outlook on uh, Greek football and Greek players and Greek managers and what have you so now, I think we should talk about Yeovil Town, just by way of a change, just get them in early. Um, a pretty decisive win on Saturday, but with the greatest respect to Yate Town, it, it apparently it appeared to be men against boys. I don't know what you guys thought from what we've seen of it. I just think it's a fantastic result. I mean, irrespective of uh, men against boys, they've uh, when you go to these uh, little teams, you have to win the battle. And obviously they've won the battle, they've got an, an early goal. You know, and they've, they've made their class um, show. You know, we've, we've, we've been, been saying about Yeovil lately that um, they really have um, started, I would say turn a corner, but their performances and the way they pressed and winning the ball back and, and obviously then keeping the ball has been very, very good. You know, and um, certainly the games that I've commentated on down at uh, Weymouth, I think against the Altrincham game, you know, I think it was really, really, you know, exceptionally good football, and they kept their, their, their um, you know, they, they kept the ball really well. Uh, the stamina has been good, so it actually started to, to look a little bit brighter. Now, it's certainly not, um, you know, I'm not going to be blinded by a couple of results. But there's a long way to go, but I certainly think the performances lately have shown that they have got it, and they've gone down to eight and and given them a real good lesson. Now, you know, to, tonight, hopefully at 9.30, they'll, they'll get a nice little home tidy. They'll get a, a decent, um, you know, decent draw. You know, with a little bit of luck, they can get through to uh, the third round. And um, but this is valuable money at the moment, and uh, the club really needs it. So to have a decent FA Cup run and maybe to pick one of the big boys out, you know, is, is um, would, would be really, well, it's a necessity at the moment, to be honest with you. An absolute necessity, but compliments to the players. You know, we talked to Josh and and uh, you know and uh, spoke to the manager a couple of times, and um, you know, and he, he's um, you know, I think he's doing a decent job at the moment. Hilda, yeah, pretty much the same sentiments to what Thorpe is saying. Really, I think, I think, yeah, for the for the confidence and for how well that they've been 
playing in terms of keeping the ball at the moment. The problem had been at the top end of the pitch and they've just not been clinical enough. And they needed a game like a Yate Town in the, in the cup to smash them three, four, five and just get that confidence again of, of, of scoring goals and gets the fans up and something to celebrate. They love a five, you know, a five nil win cup game as well. But just the way it's been going, as I'm sort of, Thorpe will agree with this as well that in the games that we've commentated on we've had the possession and yeah. we've looked neat and tidy similar to when we um, I did the away game with Gav up at Grimsby but just never looked like uh, being in a position to actually score a goal so the fact that um, I think it might have been five different goal scorers as well on 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 Saturday in, the, in that game it just does everyone a world of good and like Thorpe says as well hopefully we get a nice um sort of favourable draw in the next round. I think as low as Buxton are still in it, or you still could get the likes of Bolton Wanderers, which would still be, you know, quite a big tie at this point. But I think you want to try and get into that third round. And as much as Thorpe and I do the home matches, I'm sure that we'd be rivaling Gavin Sai if they get to the third round and there's a trip to Old Trafford up the grabs. <laughs> <laughs> what, not Anfield? Well, Anfield as well, of course. Course, but uh, I'm glad to see you got your priorities right that you know where to go and see some decent football. Oh. <laughs> no, I just I just think that the away team have got a chance if we go to Old Trafford. <laughs> but say, but looking about the, the looking, looking at the draw, which we haven't had yet, but um what's the feeling? would we rather have a, a very low team like like Yake Town, a similar standard, to enable us to be sure to get through to the third round or would we rather have uh i don't know a portsmouth or a i don't know one of the higher teams in league one you want to get to round three don't you i mean thorpe and steve will probably be able to answer this better than me but i think even as a fan uh, sorry as a, as a player or or manager i think you know there's a high chance that you, you might get to round three and not not draw one of those teams but i think that's the uh that's the draw that you'd want and you'd I don't know. It's a bit of a toss-up, really, whether you want it away from home or home, I would imagine, because I'm sure like we had with the packed-out game against Yeovil and those um, double-headers against United, but also from the club's perspective, if they got a chance to go to the Emirates or Anfield or Old Trafford or something, they'd probably want a taste of that as well. Well, yeah, that's based purely on the crowd, though, isn't it? I mean, if you, if you go to Anfield or, or Old Trafford, you're going to be getting, even in the FA Cup, I would have thought you'd get fifty to 60,000. So, you know, financially, that's what they're looking at when, when you say go to the away team. Mm. And you get a decent share of that um, crowd allocation as well, don't you? So you can, it can be a proper proper day out. Yeah. If yeah. you want a draw, don't you, and it to go to a replay and you get the best of both in an ideal scenario. I remember and then have one of your penalties go viral. Yeah, 92-93 when we played Arsenal. I remember Brian Moore, the chairman, tried to get them to allow us to send the game to Highbury. I don't know if you remember that mm. thought. He tried to, but yeah. at the time, the end at Highbury was closed off. There was a mural behind the goal, so it reduced the size and the capacity. But because of the, the nature of the game and we wanted the money, they, they pleaded with the FA to allow us to switch the venue and go and play at Arsenal, and they wouldn't let us. <laughs> so Brian was devastated because, it, again, it's just about making the money once you get there. But... I think second round, the ideal thing, isn't it, is, is you get a good league side and you beat them. That's the idea. But then you only know that in hindsight. It, beforehand, as a manager, you'd be saying, let's get a home draw against the lowest ranked team in the competition. 
<laughs> that gives us the best chance of winning. Nothing's guaranteed. No, no, it's the FA Cup, so nothing's guaranteed. I mean, the year we went through to play QPR, I mean, we went away to Cambridge United, didn't we? Yeah. And, um, you know, we were, and Andy Wallace scored the uh, goal with about sort of five minutes to go. Yeah, so the so. timing there was absolutely superb, and then to uh, then to actually uh, to be around the radio listening at uh, old, the old Hewish Park, and then to get you know to pull out QPR at home. First of all, foremost to get a home draw, draw was fantastic, and then to pull out a first division side was um, equally as good. But what was really good back there, the club were quite clever. They actually had the three games before you could get your tickets. They actually said, you know, you need the vouchers from those tickets to actually, you know, to get the first in line to get the uh, the FA Cup third one round against QPR. So that meant that our gates were, I think, I think six and a half, seven and a half, and eight and a half thousand before before we actually played QPR, which obviously gave them the extra revenue again on on what standard league games. So it all depends on how they approach it, and um, you know, but there was certainly I, I thought a very clever little move by the club at the time. To actually boost their their coffers in in on the bank, I think they've done that since as well, haven't they, Paul? I'm, I'm pretty sure they have. Because mm. I can I can remember one game when I was working there, and I'm, I'm sure, I can't remember what it, who it was now, but um, it might well have been the Liverpool game. Actually, thinking about it, um, they certainly pulled some sort of a, a, a offer up uh, for that, and it worked. I know because they sold an awful lot of tickets. Yeah, but. Um, no, it's interesting. Well, I think, you know, the, it's just at the moment, like with the financial uh, difficulties that, that Yeovil are obviously finding themselves in at the moment, then, you know, this is just imperative that uh, it could be a lifesaver, really. I know that uh, our, our good old um, ex brother in law scored them, you know, a, a very, very late one, but Walsall won it, and uh, Neil Coatston. It was Hereford, was it? Hereford replay, yeah. That's it, the replay. And. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, that 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 earned a the very lucrative one against the Arsenal, like so. Um, yeah, it's a special competition, but nothing's ever grant you know take things for granted in the FA Cup because uh, you know it's uh, it does bring up some very big surprises. It's strange though, isn't it? That since the, we had uh, draw. we we had Arsenal twice, albeit there was a fair gap between them, and and then we had Man United twice with not such a big gap between them, so. You know, it makes you wonder: who Are we going to get this time? Are we going to get Chelsea and start having Chelsea regularly? Be interesting, wouldn't it? Mm. Well, that's the beauty of the competition, isn't it? You just don't know who you're going to draw, and uh, everybody sort of sits around. And you know, I can't wait for the draw tonight, to be honest with you, and uh, to see who we actually pull out. So hopefully, we can get a home tie, because that'll be nice to be able to do some commentary on it. And um, you know, and then uh, if we can get uh, get through, it'll be you know, it'll be it'll be awesome. Yeah, well, there's one ser- good omen for it tonight. One good omen for the draw. Yeovil Town just looking at the numbers. Lucky number seven. Oh, really? they work that out. It's clearly not alphabetically, but <laughs> Yeovil are number seven in the draw tonight. Wow. What, what time is the draw? Nine thirty, I think, isn't it? Yeah. After yeah, the so after the game. Oh right, right, okay. Well, I've no doubt we'll all be tuned into that anyway. But uh, it's not on the one show. Yeah, it's usually on the one show, isn't it? That's right. Um, moving on, though, um, Aston Villa uh, have sacked their manager, which, after five defeats, I suppose, going by the way things generally are, that's probably about as many as he was going to get. 
on the hmm. other hand, I think he's done quite a good job there by and large. And they've had a few injuries, and he had to sell Jack Grealish for money that that well, he didn't. I don't think the that the ones they bought in place of Grealish are quite up to the mark. But uh, what do we all think about that? Well, that's the thing, Abe. You hit the, hit the nail on the head there, mate, which is I think the reason why he's gone, and obviously I wasn't on the podcast last week, but it didn't surprise me at all that Pounder said, and I quote, he's not under any pressure, I don't think. Dean Smith will be fine. <laughs> that that aged well, didn't it, for his old friend <laughs> Dean? But, um, well, yeah, he's... five defeats, and I think the issue is the players that they bought in there, on paper, at least, they're decent players. Like, they bought Leon Bailey in for Bayer Leverkusen, who, you know, ripped it up in the Bundesliga by all accounts. You've got Danny Ings, who's a proven goal scorer. But Buendia's ripped up the championship for more than one season now and has been linked with much bigger clubs than and Villa. You actually look at what they've actually spent their money on player for player and, you know, you could, you could say they've spent well. Yes, they haven't delivered, but... Unfortunately, five defeats in a row. I'm not really surprised by this when you look at the nature of the Premier League now. I think it's unfortunate for him, but I'm not too surprised by it. Rick, what do you think? I think it's harsh. You'd think that he'd have some credit in the bank after the season they had last year and whatever. But it, like uh, like Hilda says, it's the nature of the beast, isn't it, now? I mean, they make, trot out the same excuse that they normally do if it's a pre-Christmas sacking that it gives the new manager time to bed in and get used to things well they've got a bloke there who's who's proven he can do it at that level and is saying so it's not it's not like they were in free fall that's just remarkable and then it's been a weekend for bizarre sackings because you take the daniel farker one as well just after winning the game i wonder just, what was said in the boardroom when they went and beat um um who was it they beat brentford brentford yeah, yeah. You could just imagine it. Well, oh no, we're just nice. about to sack him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Chairman's chairman are bizarre creatures. Yeah. International break. They like to sack them before the international break. So that Norwich one, I would imagine they probably already made their mind up. Yeah, before. That, made Must have been that win was probably just an inconvenience to the board, really, to be able to make that decision and speak to him after the game. Because he I mean, didn't seem to have an inkling of it, did he? When he did his post-match interviews and everything, he was still talking about setting up for the next game and whatever. So it took him by surprise. Yeah. But what makes it holly is that they say, oh, we do it at the start of the international break and give the manager a chance to work with the team. And get... Most of the team went there. Most <laughs> of the team went away and international. So you, you always get to work with is the players that you ain't going to play in your team when all the other players come back. So, yeah, you might get to get your feet under the table, get to know the tea lady and the kit man and stuff, but you don't get to work with your players. Our players fly back like two days before the game. You know, one flies in from Honduras and lands in Greece 20, 48 hours before the game. So it, it's just a shambles. I mean, the Neil Warnock got sacked as well, didn't he? At yeah. 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 An hour before. Did he get sacked or did he walk? No, he got sacked an hour before kickoff and then took the team for the game. And then, <laughs> so. I mean, the Dean Smith one for me, I, I, I'm, I, I agree, you know, he should have enough credit in the bank. If all you're ever going to do with the manager is back him when he's successful for you, then that doesn't say a lot about you. The first time he's really had a blip is now. You know, he's got him up out the championship into the Premier League. He's done well in the Premier League. This is the first time they've had a blip and they cut him loose. And it just and he's, shows... he's already had one successful relegation battle the first season they were up, didn't yeah. he? 
yeah, he was exactly. involved in it then, and he, he kept yeah. it up then. And I just, I just think it's, it's, it just reflects so badly on them, and they're so naive they think, oh, if we just sack him, then we'll, everything could be fine, and, and the next manager will come in and be wonderful for us. No, no he won't be. He might get, a, there might be a little bit of a minimal bounce because of the new manager effect, as they call it. But stats show that that never lasts. So, you know, I think he would have kept him up because he's got a good squad of players there and he's a good coach. Uh, and he works very, very diligently on the on the training pitches. So, it, it, for me, mm. it's a real, it's a real poor decision. Yeah. Dopey, you've got your yeah, hand up. Yeah. Well, the the other part of it is as well is that you know this new manager coming in will have the same problems that Dino's got. Like, you know, he's got injuries. You know, and um, to key players, those players that have you know been bought in. You know, I've got a few injuries, and um, and and uh, if he can't play them, he's got exactly the same problem. So he's got to try and put together a team that's going to be still lacking a little bit in confidence. You know, and um, and they've got to try and turn it around just by getting a new manager. You know, I, I totally um, reiterate really what Steve said. You know, to, to have that success, and then this is his first blip. Then to get the sack, I, mean, I totally agree with what Tony said last week because you know. The guy must have had plenty in the tank, really, to uh, to certainly have a few. Now, don't get me wrong. If he had gone another three games without winning a the game, then obviously then he's under pressure. But at this point in time, I think it's a very, very poor decision to actually Not sack him. Thorpe. I think the issue is that with the players that they signed and, and how well they had done the year before, there was talk of them pushing for Europe and being well yeah. placed in the team. I think that's the issue, that even though he would have been... You know, the right man, in my opinion, to... I mean, it was premature, in my opinion, but from, yeah. from their perspective, even saving them from relegation wouldn't have been enough. But the, the thing is, and I'll Steve will tell you this as well, like, no, no two seasons are the same. You have no divine right to be anywhere in the league. You know, you've just lost your top player that's been, you know, um, at the club since he was, like, you know, uh, a fetus or whatever. And, you know, and he's... <laughs> He's a massive, massive player in that team. Now, you can go and spend whatever you like, but then you've got to knit those players, you know, again, Steve will tell you, you've got to knit those players into the squad. They've got to settle their families in, their children in, schooling, whatever. You know, and it does, it's, it, it's not a five-minute job. So for the owners then to go and say, oh, well, we're going to sack you because this, that. I mean, a little bit, I get the little bit of the, the, the Norwich situation because he's been there and he's supposedly coming back with a better squad and a, be a better squad to handle the Premiership. And it's just not happened. So it I actually do I, I do... I do sort of get that one a little bit. But for Dino to get the sack with, um, you know, with all this going on, um, and they are really, really good coaching staff there. Um, I don't know why John Terry, you know, decided to leave. I think he wants to go into the management himself. Um they talk about him coming back. Well, what difference is he's, he? You know, he's untried, he's untested, and they're going to throw him in to a massive club like Aston Villa. I just don't, and he I don't was get part, it. He was part of the um, coaching setup that they just got rid of as well. So that exactly. Be, so nonsensical. You know, so I actually don't. I just don't get the mentality of. Uh, well, you know, we're not surprised by anything happens in football. It's the most craziest thing going, isn't it? But you know, to 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 actually then. You know, it's a lot more just about signing a player and uh, than just sort of like getting him in to play football and, and him hitting the ground running. It's one of the hardest things to get him in there and start playing really, really well straight away. 
okay, there's the excitement and everything, but when you, you know, you've got your family there and coming from abroad or wherever, it's, it's very, very diff- difficult. And it takes a very strong mentality to actually hit the ground running straight away, set up your family and get everything going. And so you're an amazing player week in, week out. Okay. Does, that not make, does that not make it even more frustrating when a team does sack their manager like Dean Smith, but if somebody comes in now and Villa win four on the bounce, then it's like, Jesus, we've seen that so many times. Like, Is it a case of, um, you know, players is just down toolsing for certain managers and it's just a simple case of that? No, I, I certainly don't think in Dino's case, I think, the, you know, the, the, the mentality looked really good. I didn't see any players not trying. Um, you know, if you talk to me about Man United, I think some of the players look like sometimes they're not trying. But uh, for me, not that wasn't the case at, at Villa. I think um, I think he was well liked, well liked around by the by the fans as well. Um, so I, I, I was very, very, you know, I was very surprised. Well, I'm never surprised with anything in football, but I was a little bit gutted for him because I think that you know my first thing is, I, and I actually shouted at the telly. I went, "That's his first blip. You've sacked him, you bloody idiots!" Like you know, so. Um, yeah, just for me, for me as a you know footballer, it's disappointing because I didn't think he deserved that. As as Stephen Yanni at, at, at Panathinaikos, they certainly did not deserve um, to get the sack when they when they did. It was absolutely ludicrous, and um, this Steve, for me is exactly is, the same. Steve, are you are you under pressure now? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I would imagine so. We've lost five on the bounce. So if that's the magic, if that's the magic number, I'll see you again next week, lads. Yeah. <laughs> be available. Yeah, I think it really depends on the ownership of the club and the expectations of the club and them understanding the realities of where you are. So we have the, the club map, they stayed in the league last year by winning the playout. So they, they beat the team from Division Two. They want to do better than that and they'd like to be comfortably mid table. But the reality is we haven't got the budget to be mid-table if every penny we spend doesn't give us maximum return. So when you lose nine players out injured and then Rudy leaves because he gets a better offer a week, you know, week after the season starts, they know we're not good enough to be any better than where we are, which is one place off the bottom of the table. So they've got, they've got a couple of choices. They, they either sack the manager, and, and like AD said earlier, you know, there's the, the cost now of changing the staff and they've got to pay me up, they've got to get new coaching, etc., um, and then that manager will want more players or they trust in the processes of the manager they've got and they back him when there's a bit of a blip. You know, because even if Villa now win three games on the bounce, who's to say they wouldn't have done that if they'd have kept Dean Smith? Everybody would say, you know, oh, fantastic, well, good decision. But statistically, the evidence will show you that this the new manager bouncing is a, is a myth. They're no more successful. In fact, they're slightly less successful over a corresponding number of games on average, than if you just keep the manager you've got. So, yes, if we lose, we go back, we play Apollon Smyrnis at home, who are one place above us in the table. If we lose at home again to them, we might get one more game, and then I would suggest we'll get sacked. And and the reality is, the results will justify us getting sacked, but the circumstances for the results are the things that people really should look at. Uh, so, sorry to bring that up, Steve. <laughs> no, that's all right. I've got plenty of jobs to do here, I can tell you. So what what are the owners like then, Steve? Are they reasonable people or are they, um, you know? Yeah, no, he's a he's a, a Greek. I mean, he's a Greek fella. He's a multi millionaire. 
Um, he spent most of his time living in Sweden. He's got he's got the biggest tourist business for. He started one of the big tourism companies to get Scandinavians down to Greece and the Greek islands. So he's made a lot of money. Turned up in his private helicopter the other day. Um, comes in. He's always around the training ground. Always says hello. Um, doesn't come in the changing rooms. Doesn't try and interfere with the team. Um, and and they've been you know they've been very supportive in terms of trying to give Yanni the players he wants within the budgets and the constraints they've got. But the the reality is, if he comes under a lot of criticism from the fans when he's at the games, um, and the media, etc., then he's human, you know. And, and humans, when they're under pressure, don't tend to make the most rational decisions. Yeah. But as a person, he's a nice, he's a nice enough person, um, you know, very honourable. Um, and all the evidence is, if he sacks managers, which he's done a couple of times over the last few years, he's you know he sorts them out and he's very fair with them, and, and that's all you can ask for. Mm. Yeah. Well, moving on, what about uh, the situation at Newcastle and Eddie Howe? Who wants to start on that one? Hilda? Um, so, first and foremost, I think, it's a, I think it's a decent appointment for where they are at the moment. The issue, though, that's going to be kind of similar to what happened to Nuno at Spurs is that everybody now knows that they wanted Emery. He was the first choice, and now Howe's going in there, obviously, as, as second fiddle. I think he was sort of neck and neck with Emery anyway, if reports to be um, to be believed. But, um, you know, we, we spoke about who the right person was, was going to be for the job. We, and we talked about uh, Eddie Howe. We talked about uh, Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Roy Hodgson, amongst other names. And Howe was... Uh, was, was one of the most sensible suggestions that, that that we managed to come up with. So I'm not too surprised that they've gone in that direction. He's got obviously a real good pedigree of what he did at Bournemouth and managed to maintain um, their Premier League status for was it four or five seasons that they they had before they eventually went down. And they've got a couple of players there that he'll be familiar with as well. Um, the Ryan Fraser one will be interesting because I think when Bournemouth went down, I think he was one of those players during that COVID period where he decided that he didn't want to play for Bournemouth anymore um, at that point. And then obviously they got they got relegated. That's uh, So it'll be interesting to see what the relationship is there. But I think generally speaking, it's a decent appointment, but he's got his work cut out. They had a really good point against Brighton this weekend, but... With Norwich winning as well, Burnley getting a point, and Leeds got a point against uh, Leicester, didn't they this weekend? It's um, they, they're going to need a lot of a lot of points, but we know he's going to get that financial backing straight away in in January. Who, um, who wouldn't want that kind of money to spend um, at a club like Newcastle? I see, though, the, the Newcastle sort of scenario. Um, I, I read somewhere on internet. I don't know. But a, a director that apparently they Eddie wanted Howell. to be the the first uh, the first choice director or something. He's turned them down. So you know he's got Emery's turned them down. Now this director's turned them not going quite as they would have planned. I would have thought. No, I mean I think I think it's been well documented as well, hasn't it? That you've touched on. They don't have a director of football in place. They don't have sort of a, a transfer committee as such at the moment who will sort of help the manager out off the pitch, but. Presumably, this would all have been uh, spoken about, you know, at, at, at the interview that Eddie Howe was obviously successful at now. And um, he'll have his own ideas um, about who he wants to bring in. But um, 
like I say, he's pretty much got a blank checkbook, hasn't he? So um, it's a little bit like playing football manager up at Newcastle at the moment. And um, it'll be interesting to see what they do in January. But like we've touched on over the last couple of weeks as well, they'll probably be looking to utilise the loan market for players who aren't getting into the squads at, say, uh, you know, the fringes of a Barcelona, like youth players at Real Madrid and like players on the continent that are sort of relatively big names but are not getting uh, the game time, might look at an opportunity to just play at Newcastle for six months, try and get some big money. And um, whether that's the right mentality of player when you're in a relegation battle, I'm not so sure. But I think that's definitely going to be something they're going to try and do. Steve, what do you think about the overall, um, you know, situation that they're faced with there for your experience of uh, football in general? Well, I think for Eddie, it's a completely different problem because whether the sort of players that Eddie wants align with the sort of players that they want to sign to make a statement, which is what they'll probably want to do, I'm not sure those two will will meet. Um, and then for Eddie to deal with players who have massive egos. You know, he worked very hard on the training pitch with, with the Bournemouth players to educate him in a certain way. And they all came from you know, different backgrounds. Um, who did he struggle with? He tended to struggle with the boys who'd come down from Liverpool, didn't he? Yeah. He had issues with the players that came from the big clubs who never settled there because it was a completely mm. different environment. I'm, I'm not sure it is a good appointment. I'm not sure it's good for Eddie. I'm not sure it's good for Newcastle, if I'm honest. Um, I'm not sure their short-term objectives match up to Eddie's sort of philosophy and the way he wants to play football. They need to scrap and bite and snap their way to points at the moment because they haven't got good enough players to play the way Eddie wanted Bournemouth to play. Um, so I think I think it's a huge risk for both of them, if I'm honest. Interesting. Interesting. Um, oh, Ed, yeah. Just at, at the risk of upsetting the most deluded fan base in world football, I've never, ever wanted a team to get relegated more and I want Newcastle to get relegated this season. And I would like to think, I was thinking about it, and I like to think that it was for moral reasons and it was the whole sports washing and and that. I would like to take the moral high ground and think it's because of that. But to be honest, I think I'm just fed up with multi-billionaires coming in, using the Premier League clubs as a as a plaything. When they if these clubs are so desperate the biggest clubs in the country and, and whatever, the most successful clubs, if they're that desperate for a European Super League, why don't all the clubs that have got an infinite amount of money behind them, not proper clubs, clubs that it could be anybody, Chelsea, Man City, Newcastle now, PSG, all these things could have happened at any club. There's nothing special about those clubs themselves, just the fact that they've got a big bank, bank, big bank behind them, bankrolling everything they're going to do. And it goes against football. Much as I, I think it's no secret of, of my love of Liverpool, but at, mm. least they're a, at least they're a proper football club. At least everything they've got has come from football, be it the commercial side, be it whatever. It's a football club. Arsenal are a football club. United are a football club. This lot, why don't they all just push off, play in their own little Super League amongst themselves? Because... If you remember the first thing Brian Clough said when uh, when he went to leave, you can take all your trophies and you can put them in the bin because you've won them by cheating. And in essence, all those clubs are cheating the game. And it's got nothing to do with 
building it over a, over a prolonged period and being established as a football club, that it's, it's like Hilda said, they are like they're playing football manager and they're doing it with real things. And I just think it's just got to the tipping point where there's too many of them. And it's, it's ruining football, I think. And if they all pushed off, played in their own little league amongst themselves where there's no financial fair play and they can chuck as much money at it as they want, then I think it would be better for everybody, personally. Football, bloody hell. <laughs> oh, that's the name <laughs> of the show. Something that just, just occurred to me. It's not that I have been thinking about it all day, but it's just, it's just so annoying. It's so irritating. It's not a reflection on, on the clubs themselves. And as much as everybody loves success and people love winning things, and if it happened to your club, you would be happy because you can buy whoever you want, you can win whoever you want. But wouldn't there be a feeling that that is a little bit tainted? You've not done it holistically or however you want to put it, but it's, it's just something that's been artificially added onto it. I've just had enough of them, to be honest. They're boring. I, I, think, to, I think, to be honest, I think when I look on the demographics of the people talking on this podcast, and we represent the you know the good old-fashioned English tradition of spirit of fair play and all that sort of stuff. Wherever you go in the world, it's not like that. You know, in, in, yeah. don't you respect Olympia Hardcastle, we've got some good players. They win the league every year in Greece because they have every single thing going for them in their favour. You know, if they don't if they don't get a genuine penalty, they, they give them a penalty. If the team's level with them on points, the federation takes points off the team. It, it's, all, it's all over the world, and we're yeah. you know ours is the tip of the iceberg. There is no soul or honesty left in the top end of professional football. Whether it's FIFA, UEFA, whoever it is, everybody's in it about the bottom line and about how it's going to help them. Um, and you're right, the, the real, you know, what was the football club? Burnley's probably one of the few in the Premier League, Norwich to a degree, are proper, proper football clubs that still represent the people and the town that they come from. And the rest of them are just trinkets now, aren't they? Man City are a trinket, Paris Saint-Germain are a trinket on the arm of some rich gazillionaire who just wants to flash how much money he's got. A lot of truth in that, Steve. A lot of truth in that. Well, that's the way it is, isn't it? And that's, that's what it is. And, and you know, it, it, surely coaching, like if you want to measure a coach, like David Moyes again now, year after year he overachieved at Everton because the amount of points he got, the amount of money he spent, meant that he was the best manager in the league. And he's doing it again at West Ham now. Yeah. With all due respect, I, I think I could. I, I think I could go to um, Bayern Munich in Germany and, and win the league. I think I could go to Red Bull Leipzig and have them close to the top of the Bundesliga. I think any one of us could go to those. Any one of us could go to Paris Saint Germain and win the French title or come very close to it. Any one of us could go to Manchester and come close to winning the Premier League. We wouldn't even have to go out on the training pitch. We could send somebody else out to do it for us because they just spend so much money, just accumulating so many players. And if it's not good enough, they just go and spend another hundred million on somebody. It's not. It's not what the game's about. Indeed, not. Well, can I go and be manager of Paris Saint Germain then? Since you said any of us can do it. <laughs> do you speak any French? Um, oui, oui. Um, <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot. As long as you can speak the name of Messi and Mbappe, you're, you're fine. You can do what you like. They yeah. Um, you'll notice that I've been cunningly trying to keep uh, certain results of the weekend uh, sort of not on the agenda, but it's it's getting near the end of the show and I suppose we'll have to uh, briefly <laughs> mention it. Um, yes, 10 minutes on West Ham, please. That would be great. Yeah, well, of course... Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't 
Thorpey's patiently got his hand up. Go to Thorpey. No, 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 no. no, no, no. By the I'm... rules, you should let him speak. Come on, Thorpey. Oh, yeah. Come on, then. Talk about, I was actually going to talk about Newcastle because like, they, they talk about the um, director of football and um, there's uh, Michael Emanalo. Um, there's actually like uh, it's Chelsea one, I believe, that, that uh, they're saying is in line for it. But uh, um, and see what the thoughts are there because uh, the, apparently he's going to need to work with this director of football, but they want him in place as, as soon as possible. There's also in other words, over Mars, the, the over so, Mars is also in line for it as well. Apparently, like so, see what your thoughts are on those. Thorpe doesn't want to talk about West Ham 3, Liverpool 2, in other words. <laughs> no, well, not sure as I want to talk about Man United nil, Man City 2 either, but um, sometimes you have to bite well, the we, bullet. We, listen, we, we, we have, in fact, talked about um, what a fantastic job you know, Moyes has done at uh, West Ham. And, um, you know, and they, they, there's talk about them. Can, could he do a Leicester and uh, actually uh, win the league? So, no, nothing... Um, you know, nowadays with, with the way his squad is worked, working so hard for the team, people coming out and saying it's a fantastic place to play football at the moment. Nothing would surprise me of them for winning the league this year and getting some bubbles flying around. But um, it would certainly be interesting. I think that I think at the moment Chelsea are looking really, really strong. Um, I think he's got them really buzzing at the moment. And uh, for me at the moment, I think they're slight favourites at the moment. But they um, drop points. Well, though, didn't they um, this this weekend? Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. They're, they're going to be amongst it. Rick's mentioned on this podcast on more than one occasion that it's going to be really tight um, this year. But, AD, when I was on the phone to you earlier today, like we were talking about the results of this weekend, and I, I think when we all said about it's going to be a tight league this year, I think we all went about it the wrong way. I think we thought it was going to be a tight year because we thought, do you know what? Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester City as a as a runaway front three, if you like, are going to be neck and neck pretty much all the way through the season. But what I don't think we realised is that actually all three of those teams have just got as much vulnerability as, as each other. And so far this season, every time one of them's dropped points... Another one of them or, or two of them have dropped points on the same weekend. So I think it's going to be quite tight up until the end of the season for, for dropping points as well as how many they manage to accumulate. So it's going to be an interesting race and also keep the likes of United, um, Spurs, um, West Ham, like you said, Leicester, if they get their act together a little bit. Um, they might not be too far behind because it might be a case of all teams uh, are going to take points off each other this year. Well, no doubt you'll say this is blind faith on my part, but uh, okay, we were. It was embarrassing on Saturday. Uh, I'm prepared to say that uh, it really was embarrassing. I'm sure Rick will agree with me. But uh, and really, the the uh, reluctance to relieve Ollie of his job, which much as I don't, I, I love him to bits. I think he's a great guy. Um, but you know, clearly there's something wrong. There's something major wrong there at the moment. Not just on the playing field uh, upstairs as well I think but when, when you look at it hang on Rick let me make a point a minute I've got a point to make when you oh, look I'm at it point, we uh, we lost we in, lost embarrassingly badly but we've only dropped one place in the league <laughs> now if they act quickly and do decide to get uh, a new manager which I've seen started to see the rumours and that's usually the prelude to the whole job happening um 
I don't think United are that far away. If we could get a sensible manager in who can turn them around, them still making a go and, and still getting up in that top four. I don't know what you think, mate. You know, the mistake, I thought when Mourinho going was the right decision, Ollie coming in was the right decision. Ollie coming in until the end of the season and giving them time to look for a new manager and to appoint it that way. I thought, brilliant. United have actually got the fingers, uh, it, uh, pulled the fingers out and they're making, doing things the right way. But Ollie went on a good run. Everyone got giddy and they gave him the job full time. That was where the mistake was made. He's done an awful lot of good. He's a, as a player, he's a legend. And as a manager, he did a damn fine job in those first first few months because there was a lot of rubbish left over from the, the managers before. He had to shift personnel out and he had to get the club back, you know, the whole United DNA, all that sort of thing as well, which he did do. But he should never have been United manager beyond the end of that season. And as far as sacking him now, who is there that's available and wants it? There isn't anybody at the moment. That's why he will probably keep his job till the end of the season. Unless the, the ladder Ajax, then they want what they want is they want the whole kit and caboodle with him. They want Van der Sar and Overmars to come in as well. So that's probably going to be a, a stumbling block for that. But talk of a lot of the other ones. I mean, you know, I, I would I'd try and get Luis Enrique in personally, but he's not mentioned anywhere. And every time you see what you need to balance as a United fan, what you need to balance out, looking at all these other names that are in the frame, is a, would they be an improvement on what we got? And B, would you want to watch the football that they're going to produce? I mean, that was the big thing about Conte, jumping up and down with his little wig flapping on the, on the sidelines. It's not a United thing, I don't think. I think they dodged a bullet with that one, personally. But I don't see there's an outstanding candidate to come in and do that job at that level. And the problems go back... The problems start at the top, because... Many years ago, when um, Klopp was at his first job in Germany, Ed Woodward saw him, and or somebody from United saw him, and they sort of had a word with him about taking on United, even back then, before, before he'd, he'd gone to Dortmund or whatever, and he wasn't interested because the makeup of the club is a shambles. And until the Glazers go, then United are well, just lurching from one disaster to another and I don't see a better alternative out there personally. Well did you see that there's there are some papers reported on the internet that I've seen that say that they've spoken with Brendan Rogers and they've agreed a deal. Now I don't know actually gaining that's gaining momentum and how much the the Liverpool thing is going to hamper him with that I don't know. Hmm. The fact that he hasn't gone directly from one to the other, he's the he's about the only one apart from Luis Enrique that I would sort of like be happy to see there. But yeah. the ironic thing, just just let somebody else have a say about it because I'm boring myself talking about United at the moment, but <laughs> isn't it ironic that United get such a poor performance, uh, everybody's ridiculing them for the way they played on Saturday and they lose that game to two of the scabbiest goals you could ever imagine. It's not <laughs> like they were worldies or anything. An own goal and that dodgy thing at the far post. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's the Liverpool lads laugh at United. Go on. We've got three minutes to go, <laughs> chap, so uh, make it brief. All I was going to chuck in is um, I'd be interested to hear what you boys think 
of um, Conte to Spurs because I know we've said a lot about the way Conte plays football and and bits and pieces like that. But I mean, if you actually look at his record, is there a worry now that from your boy's perspective, if you don't make a change or if you still continue as you are, that there's no guarantee that Spurs will improve. But obviously, if they are going to improve, then this is the best way that they're going to do it by bringing in someone like Conte. And if anything, if that does work out how they want it to work out, then it's only going to cause more of a problem for you for you boys well how do you see that I, I, apart from maybe getting the bubbles I don't see Conte's going to make a difference Conte will have his usual cycle at Spurs and he'll be on his bike after a couple of years in which which time Spurs might well have won their first trophy since 1863 or whenever it is <laughs> what do you think Steve um, the Conte thing uh, he's got a proven track record, hasn't he? Wherever he's been, he's won trophies. A bit like Mourinho a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, that worked. He'll make no apologies. Well, you say that, but Mourinho at Manchester United, like he said, was probably his greatest achievement. Finished second and win the Europa League, and since then have been absolutely shambolic. Um, so Conte would probably, like you say, if he wins Tottenham a trophy, Daniel Levy needs him to be a success. And the success is to win something. So whether they win the League Cup or whatever, they'll go with that. As for Oli, I think if it was just a 2-0 home defeat to Man City and being abysmal, OK. On the back of losing 5-0 at home to Liverpool, I think he's probably I think he's probably got to the tipping point now and I wouldn't be surprised if there are significant moves behind the scenes to find a replacement. Well, folks, that's more or less all we've got time for. Um, suffice to say, thank you very much to everybody that's joined us. Steve, good to have you back, albeit only for one-off. Uh, when are you coming back next? Um, well, at the moment, Christmas week. So sometime before Christmas, just for a few days over Christmas. Is, well, that, is that when you're coming back for another quickie? Yeah, I'm back for another quickie. <laughs> Unless, of course, the results carry on the way they are, in which case I could take as long as I want to do anything I want. <laughs> well, we'll we look forward to having you back on the show anyway, so um, yeah, as, as, as quick as you it. can. But thanks for coming on today. Rick, thanks for yeah. you, mate. Appreciate your points. No worries. Um, and I quite like the idea of Luis Enrique myself as well. Um, Thorpe, well done, mate. Thanks for coming on. And Hilda, Absolutely glad to see yeah. you back uh, fit and healthy. Thank you, mate. Pleasure. And until the next time, all I've got to say is football bloody hell.